Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Settle on a poll question. Got a play of the day coming up. Dave Roberts, Dodger manager, a little bit later on. Deep dive on Andrew Luck. What's he doing now? That's one of those guys that you just disappear from the sport. Doesn't do any interviews. Doesn't care about doing any interviews. Didn't want to be an announcer, an analyst. He just sort of disappeared. The Great Mystery. I'll have that for you coming up a little bit later on. You know, when you retire, Duncan Keith, I think, spent 17 years in the National Hockey League, played for the Blackhawks, had a couple of Stanley Cups. But uh, his quote was, give the exact quote if you have it there, Seton, where um, he talked about that he didn't exactly uh, leave everything on the ice. He says, I mean, and he has many more statements that talks about, well, my body, you know, I just haven't been training as well and blah, blah, blah. But the one that stood out to me was it's never an easy decision. I think there's a part of me that knows I could still play. And I think that's how I wanted to go out, knowing I still had some game left in me and I'm relatively healthy. That's basically where my mindset was at. Hmm. Well, Barry Sanders walked away from the game at age 30. But I understood the frustration level and I was very close to Barry at that time. And was even given a heads up that he was retiring and going to London. But I, and I was doing Sports Center. I was not allowed. Uh, his agent said, Look, uh, I'll tell you this, but you can't say anything until Barry gets to London. I go, He's going to London? Yeah, he's going to retire. And he, he just wanted to, he was tired of losing. And I think he would have played for another team, but, and he grew up a Raiders fan, but, he just, 
got to the point where he said, I just don't, it's not fun anymore. And I think Barry was just great at football. I don't know if he loved football. He loved basketball. I don't know if Andrew Luck loved football or you're just born into it. Like your dad was a player who played, uh, not a great quarterback, but he, you know, you sort of have that pedigree. And sometimes you have guys who are really good at something, but that doesn't mean they really love it. Yes, Eaton. It's sometimes like with a guy, say, like Andrew Luck, who you feel like retired early, and then you start looking at their injury history, and you kind of understand why it's like, you know what, I just don't feel like having a lacerated kidney anymore, or, yeah. you know, my shoulder, for you know, it's killing me. I don't feel like doing that anymore. When you start to look at, you know, the list of injuries, look at Gronk's injuries. I would never question his toughness or, oh, my God, why can't you come back? Why don't you play one more year? The list of injuries that he's had, I don't think anybody wants to quit, but there's a point where you go, I just, I don't want to go through this anymore. And I think that's probably what Gronk, you know, hey, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm one of the great tight ends of all time. I've won Super Bowls. I don't really need anything anymore. Yes, Eden. I mean, even Gronk, the first time he retired... Yeah. Those the details that he gave after the Super Bowl were horrifying. Yeah. Internal bleeding yes. and couldn't get out of bed for yeah. however many days. It was like, dang, you, you don't see that. You just see him shirtless, you know, slugging down beers, and then the next week he's like in rough shape. Yeah, Paul. Peyton Manning's really interesting because his second to last year in the league, thirty nine touchdowns, fifteen picks. He was great. He's pro bowler. But then his last season, he did get a Super Bowl in that last season, but he was statistically the worst quarterback in the NFL. He had nine touchdowns and 17 interceptions. Yeah. I mean, that's not even close to what he does for a living. And he limped through the playoffs, and, but he picked up that second Super Bowl. So there's, you know, there, you know, there's guys, I remember we had Steve Young on once, and you asked him about retirement. He goes, you know what? He goes, all you guys talk about legacy. He goes, we don't want to retire too early. He goes, you don't want to be sitting there at 46 going, I could have got one more year. I could have got one more ring. I could have, you know, I left something out there. Yeah, and there are times when you go, God, why didn't he retire? But, you know, we want it both ways. Like, why don't you play one more season? Or you get to Ben Roethlisberger. About time to wrap it up there, Ben, huh? And and I'm always, I try to be careful when I say these things. But about somebody, I hope you play as long as you want to play and can play. It's not incumbent upon me to have an opinion on, hey, uh, I think you need to wrap it up here. Usually you're the last person to know. Yes, Eden. But it is odd, though, that when that person does know, like, I think I'm done, and we don't think it's time yet, it's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to keep playing. What? You can't You can't retire now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Marv. Now, you talked to athletes before. Do you think it's hard for them when they're 32, 33, which is so young in regular life, are they afraid to just retire because what do I do next? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you, you go, what are you going to do the rest of your life? Well, you've been this almost your entire life, and now we're saying at age 34, 35. I mean, I get why Tom Brady doesn't want to retire because he's still very good at what he's doing, and they have protected the quarterback. And, you know, he hasn't dropped. It's not like he's slower because he was never fast. Is your arm still strong? Are you still capable? You know, remember when um, – he, he got confused in the game against the Bears where he wasn't sure what down it was. And we're like, okay, here it comes, Tom. And then we realized that that was just a momentary lapse for him. He's still able to play at a very high level. The question is, 
he's got other business entities and your family and your kids and all of those things. And Brady has the options. It's those players who were 32-33 and they've been a linebacker for the Niners. And you go, what are you going to do the rest of your life? I don't know. And I think that's really scary. Yeah, Pauline. I remember a bunch of years ago, maybe 10 years ago, we had the great Michigan player and a great NBA player, Chris Weber, on the show. And just a couple days after he retired. And you said, what are you going to do next? He goes, Dan, I'm 34 years old. Because I'm just getting rolling in life. Chris Weber made like... $180 million and was done with his career. Most people are getting into their career at 34 and starting to make money. That's got to be the weirdest thing that it's, it's, it's flipped for yeah. athletes. Well, we ask our children, hey, what do you want to major in in college when you're 18? Uh, business. Okay. There you go. Go to college. And then you get out. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you're 22. We're kind of athletes get to prolong that. You know, they get to like, I'm going to put that off for a little while. Now at 32, 33, 34, you're going, what, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, I don't know. Yes, Todd. But besides what are you going to do, isn't some of it ego and being relevant and the cheers? There, there is got to be some of that, unless you're making so much money and you really, really don't care about whether people are talking about you or you're in the news anymore. I, just, I feel like there's some of that involved. Yeah, I guess. You know, uh, you know look at Drew Brees. Drew Brees, it looked like he was had a made-for-TV role and he was going to go right into the studio. If he could still play, he'd play. And then he realized being in the studio is not any fun if you just left the playing field. That's why Tom Brady made the right decision. Now, they gave him a lot of money, but he's going to go back out to these games and prepare for two different defenses. I mean, it's a similar process. He's going to meet with everybody. He'll meet with the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, the coach, and then he's going to prepare a game plan. Drew didn't get that. And I think, you know, Tony Romo has that. Chris Collinsworth has that. Troy Aikman has that. They get to go to those games. And there's no win or lose. You're preparing. And as long as you prepare in a professional manner then I think you're going to gather something out of that. that you're, that's as close as you're going to get to playing. And you hear the crowd. You're into it. You're as close as you could possibly be to playing. And I think that's really important, those who stay with the game. Or you're going to be a coach. Ken Norton Jr. went from being an all-pro linebacker to being uh, a, a defensive coach in the NFL. Having that and being that close, while it might be frustrating, I think it's also rewarding. But having that almost umbilical cord that attaches you to the game is really important. And an analyst on site is completely different than an analyst who's in the studio. Having been in the studio with Rodney Harrison and Tony Dungy, uh, analyst at the mothership, it's just different. It It's almost like... You have a, a, a cat, and the cat is only allowed to be indoors. Safe, you know, nobody's going to bother you here. You're okay. And as opposed to, oh, we let the cat out, and uh, he's going to go out and have some fun. That's what it is when you have an analyst. You're like, uh, hey, we're just kind of hanging out here. Uh, there's no ambiance. There's no uh, applause here. Yeah, see. Which do you prefer doing, uh, live at an event or in the studio? I appreciate the energy, but it's harder to do my job because of everything that's going on. And as a result, 
your analysts get more distracted as well. And I mean, you're not like picking up that looking for that same buzz or no, no, that no, same no. energy that the analyst, a former player is looking for. So it's coming from a different place. Bro. Yes. But they get distracted because they'll see somebody they played with or coached with and you're rehearsing. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody come, Rodney. Hey, Ray, what's up? Rodney, come on. We got to rehearse. <laughs> hey, coach Dungey. Hey, coach, coach, coach. And you'd be like, okay. And it's loud. Uh, you, you just have to deal with the environment there, the elements there. And uh, weather, you can throw that in as well. But when you walk in, there's nothing like when you're, when you're there on the field and, and you just hear it. There's nothing like that. And I didn't play, but just to hear it, and it, if I did play, it would bring back memories of, oh, God, I missed that. But I've been with Rodney Harrison, and Rodney's one of the tougher guys who ever played the game. And he watches, I watched uh, the end of a first half with him. And he goes, I don't know how I played this game. It's so violent. Because when you're watching it on the silent, it is violent. And the noise is just different. Like when somebody gets hit, it's like, wow, that hurt me. Yeah, Paul. I'm going back on this Andrew Luck stuff because it's just so fascinating. If you look at the Colts in 2018, going the uh, the season before he retired, you know yeah, yeah. they were 10 and six. He threw 39 touchdowns, 15 picks. He was back again. He was uh, one of the players of the year candidate. All the kind of stuff. Everything. It, the sacks were down. You know, actually, you know, he, he was his sack percentage was the lowest in the league. The team had finally protected him. He was only sacked 18 times in his final season. Like everything was good. I'm reading all these articles from the Colts camp. Like. We're finally protecting Luck. Then he gets his foot-ankle injury about three weeks into the preseason. And he's discussing it, and the team's like, no cause for concern. He should be ready for this. And he talks to them, and he's talking about all his different injuries. And you know he can't run like he used to, and this isn't going to help. And the next day, he retires. Yeah, It's really fascinating. There's no red flags. Jason in Florida. Hi, Jace. What's on your mind today? Uh- I'd like to make a comment about uh, the Colts and Ryan Grigson specifically. I mean, if, if I think Andrew Luck is as much, if not more, responsible for his quitting than, than Ryan Grigson. Ryan Grigson didn't tell Andrew Luck to not slide. Uh, Ryan Grigson didn't tell Andrew Luck to tackle everybody that threw an interception. And Andrew, Ryan Grigson certainly didn't tell Andrew Luck to go snowboarding and tear up his shoulder and get lifted off of a mountain. I mean, this, this is all on Andrew Luck. This isn't on Ryan Grigson. And I, I'm not saying that there's not his no responsibility on the Colts side, but I think, to be fair, um, you know, Andrew Luck bears some responsibility for this. Oh, he does. But, you know, I don't know if he admits that he bears responsibility because I think he's had comments to writers, reporters, off the record. But you're right. You know, one of the great stories that was kind of – hidden was he got injured snowboarding injured his shoulder uh and and he would talk about if he threw an interception he wanted to make the tackle absolutely but you can't tell me that they invested in that offensive line so he did those things but you can't exonerate the front office with the number of sacks that he incurred those first couple of years but the other stuff the way he played absolutely but I, I'm not saying that he shouldn't bear any of the responsibility here. If he was on, I would ask him. I'd ask him about the snowboarding accident. I'd ask him about the mentality of how he played and what role that played. But I don't think he's blaming anybody. I don't think he came out and said, hey, I'm going to put this all on the Colts. I don't think he said anything. So 
in fairness to the totality of the story, Andrew Luck's not coming out pointing fingers. I'm just, I said all along, they need to have a better offensive line. That's all. But you're right. He'd go out and try to make the tackle. I think there's one hit. Like one of the more violent plays I've seen was a tackle by Andrew Luck after he threw an interception. Paul, you'd probably have to. Was that the one in college? No, oh. I, I, he did that too. But I think he had one in the NFL where he threw an interception and he just he laid somebody out. Yeah, Paul. I, I'm looking for it. But there is one in college that got a lot of notoriety because I remember it. He, they were playing Stan, Stanford's playing USC. He threw a pick and he just decletes this linebacker okay. and defensive back. Yeah. And it was like Sports Center top ten. Yeah. And then he had a bit of a reputation for lowering his shoulder. And when he's running and finishing off plays, you know, he's not like Josh Allen where he runs a lot, but when he ran, he didn't avoid the contact. Well, his 40 yard time was the same as Cam Newton. Like he was a great athlete at that position. I don't think he utilized, I don't think he used his legs the way Josh Allen does, but he did. It felt like there were times where, you know, you do need to slide and you don't have to tackle the guy who had the interception, but. That's the way he played. But once again, he's not blaming the Colts. At least, I don't think anything on record is saying that. He'd have to point the finger at himself to begin with. But uh, Jason in Florida, thank you. Yes, Eden. Yeah, I'm watching the, Andrew Luck tackling. It's like this amazing form tackle. Yes. That you're like, look at this dude. I know. He absolutely, there's this one highlight uh, against USC. Like Paul was just saying, it's off of a fumble. Sharice uh, Wright, Andrew yeah. Luck absolutely destroys him, hits him right in the chest. I don't even know that Sharice Wright knew that Andrew Luck was coming, but he <laughs> absolutely demolishes him. Maybe that's the play. I just remember it's one of the more violent hits that I've seen. It, it, it has to be because Luck is going across. The guy doesn't see it coming, and Luck goes helmet <laughs> I know. to his sternum. I know. Just absolutely crushes this dude. I know. Uh, Wes in Washington. Hi, Wes. What's on your mind? Morning, fellas. Five eight one sixty five. October tenth, nineteen sixty nine is my birthday. Hmm. Same month, same day, same, same day. Year. Todd. Oh, nice. Okay. Same month, same day. Yeah, exactly. And also, my middle name is Joseph. How about that? I mean, me and Todd are like twinsies here. Love it. I have nothing recording to go into with sports related. I just want to know, Dan, what was your first um, music? Uh, record you bought. That's all I want to know. Mine was um, Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot. I was probably six or seven years old, riding the back of my mom's car. She didn't know what the heck I was talking about. Went to the music store and and got the record. That's all, all right. Uh, thank you, Wes. Um, Todd, do you remember the... You know, let me take a break. We got a play of the day coming up here. The, the first album that you bought, or Marv, it might be your first CD that you bought or cassette? Yes. Yeah, mine was a cassette. A cassette. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. My first album that I bought was not a musical group. We'll take a break. Play of the day up next here, Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. 
or stream us live on the Peacock app. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zach uh, covers the Colts and uh, the NFL for The Athletic and the uh, host of the Andrew Luck podcast. It's a uh, six-part uh, series, six episodes of Luck on the Athletic Football Show feed or wherever you listen 
to your podcast. How did you come up with the uh, the thought of doing this, whether you were going to have any cooperation with Andrew Luck? That's a heck of a segue, Dan. I appreciate <laughs> I <know>. it. <laughs> um, yeah, great question. Um, why now, right? Like, why do this project? Um, and at first, I kind of resisted it. I, did, I, I wasn't ready to dive back in. I lived all of this covering the Colts the last couple of years. But for a couple of reasons, one, he's sort of like this mysterious figure in Indianapolis. He lives five minutes from the team facility. The specter of Andrew Luck still hangs over this franchise in a way where, you know, you go to Phillip Rivers, you go to Carson Wentz, you go to Matt Ryan, like they haven't found the next guy. And he's only 32 years old. And, and there's a lot of what ifs. And to be honest, when you dig into it, for a lot of reasons, I think it's one of the more interesting stories we've had in the NFL in a long time. It's it's incomplete and it's mysterious and it's surprising and it's it's just fascinating on a lot of levels. What role does luck play in the uh, the mystery here of not just disappearing, but not really commenting on disappearing? Yeah, he's he's almost like the like a Bigfoot in this city, like if you go back, it's, it's impossible to understate like how big of a decision it was for Jim Mercy to move on from Peyton Manning in 2012. And that's one of the early episodes is like, that just wasn't ever supposed to happen. And it did. If you're going to move on from Peyton Manning, you move on for the next Peyton Manning, right. In a lot of ways. And, and then he was done when he was 29 years old and he walked away 15 days before the season. Like I remember looking at that, at, at that guy that night, looking in his face and thinking, what happened? Like, how did we get here? And, and that's what we try to answer. Like, how does the best quarterback prospect since John Elway end up walking away before he's 30 years old? And what happened to him since? Have you talked to Luck? Yes. Um, we caught up. He's done no interviews since he retired. He's, he's like a ghost, like I said. Um, we've stayed in touch. We met. We had coffee for an hour and a half, all off the record. So I will <laughs> honor that. He's not quoted. You can imagine my... Oh disappointment with that um but um he thought about participating which would have been a big deal it would have been the first time he's talked since he retired he ultimately declined but to some degree it's almost better that he's not in the podcast because so many people around him tell the stories that we never heard what were the warning signs that we should have seen yeah that's a great question that's um that's into episodes three and four well, I'll go back to Stanford. So his first start as a quarterback, David Shaw is his offensive coordinator. In his first play, he scrambles out of the pocket. And instead of ducking out of bounds like a lot of quarterbacks, he drives his throwing shoulder into the safety, gets two yards, and he runs off the field, and Shaw is livid. And Luck says, I know, I know, I know, but I just had to do it. I just had to get one hit in, coach. And that's how he played. Like, that's how he played the rest of his career. And and there was a lot of joy to his game early. I mean, he was running straight into linebackers and then picking them up off the field, right? Getting sacked by defensive linemen and saying, great hit. Like, these defenders thought this was a mind game. Like, he was just different. But that beating, that physical punishment he took, and the fact that the Colts never got him a good offensive line, the, the signs were there. I remember so many hits he would take. The, the, press box would just, the press box would just gasp. Like, you just don't see quarterbacks take those kind of hits. There was one game he took a shot to his ribs, and it lacerated his kidney, which is an accident that usually happens when you're in a car crash. And he woke up the next day, and he was peeing blood. So the warning signs were certainly there. Yeah, I, I, I look at it, 
and I don't know if he's ever pointed fingers here, whether, and you can't say this if he said it privately off the record, but, you know, the snowboarding accident, um, the way he played, yes, they didn't protect him. And I used to rail on the Colts. It was like, you know, you got to protect him, but he wasn't protecting himself. And I don't think he's ever pointed any fingers of blame, um, or has he, that maybe I've missed here. Yeah, no, that's that's a big part of this. Like, no, they didn't protect him, but he played like a linebacker. And he's a tough, big dude, right? Could have played tight end, could have played linebacker, but, like, you can't do that. And so I have teammates that are saying, you know, like, every time he took a hit, like, we cringed. Like, we knew if he goes down, the, the season's over. And there's a really revealing moment in the podcast where I asked David Shaw, and he's really close to luck to this day, one of the few people that's really inside that circle. And I said, did the Colts protect Andrew Luck the right way? Did they build around him the right way? And Shaw says, and he's a coach for 20 years, he says, that's the most loaded question I've ever been asked in my life. And then he answered me and he said, during those early years in Indy, he would ask Luck. And and Andrew never publicly criticized anybody. That just wasn't his thing. But privately with Shaw, Shaw would be like, what do you need, man? He's like, I need a running back. Like they had, they went five years without a hundred yard rushing, five years. And he needed an offensive line. So it's twofold. Andrew's not absolved of blame in this. And then the series gets into that. I mean, he played reckless football and he played and he paid a really dear price. He had the foot ankle injury a week before. Like, wait, have, I guess, did that speed up the process of him saying, you know, I just don't want to go through this anymore? Or what role did that play? That's the weirdest thing in all of this. Like, can I be honest? Like, nobody retires from a calf injury. Like, what? Like, this dude made it back from shoulder hell. Like, his his throwing shoulder, he played on for three years. The labrum was torn. Like, that's serious pain. He played through a lacerated kidney and beat the best defense in football one year. And a calf injury is what does it? But, you know, that's really what episode six is about, is like, after the shoulder and after he made it back, everything was different. He saw the game differently. And, and I think when he looked ahead – and he saw more rehab and more missed time and more hell, which he'd lived through. I think he chose his mental health above, above everything else. And it's an extremely polarizing decision in this city to this day. How is he viewed? Better now. People have gotten over it. Now, the feedback from, from this podcast has stirred that back up. I mean, this is a guy that retired 15 days before the season opener. The Colts didn't have a plan. Well, they booed him that night when Schefter had the report and he's on the sidelines and it breaks during a preseason game. And they started booing him. It's surreal. Yeah, the face of the franchise. The guy you moved on from Peyton Manning for is booed off the field. They need to get him back to Lucas Oil Stadium and they need to celebrate him the right way. And I think Jim Irsay, the owner, wants to do that. But... Like I said, there's this specter. I mean, this guy lives five minutes from the team facility. And when I met with him, you know, we had this great conversation. I remember looking at him and thinking, you're still 32 years old. Like you could go play tomorrow. And he's not going to, he's not going to come back. I never thought that, but it's just really strange that this unfolded the way it did. And um, it just kind of feels unfinished in a lot of ways. The role of being a dad, what role did that play in all of this? Yeah. He essentially became a full-time dad. You know, imagine walking away from football, which is a 12 hours a day job every day of the year. Right. And then they have a baby a couple of months later. So he's really thrown himself into that. 
And we're starting to see him come out publicly a little bit more. I think there was, and this is my word, I think there was a little bit of shame on his part, the way his retirement happened, when it happened. We didn't see him. He was like a ghost for like two and a half years. I would get text messages and people would would say, I saw him at the grocery. He's alive. I saw him at this coffee shop. Like it was like Bigfoot. And he's starting to come out a little bit more and a little bit more. I think he's at peace with everything. It was hard at first, though. Why did he why did he stay in Indianapolis? Great question. He loves it here. He loves it here. Um, His wife has a great job. Uh, They love. They love the food. They love the people. They love the fact that he can sort of blend in a little bit. People don't bug him. When we had coffee, you know, a couple of people double, double, you know, double take. Like, is that Andrew Luck? Is that really him? And they would come up to the table, and he was great. He was great with them. So um, I think he's comfortable here, but isn't that telling? I mean, you walk away from a team at 29, and you stay in the city. And, and not just that, you live a couple minutes from the team facility. <laughs> great stuff, Zach. Good luck with it. Thanks, Dan. That's uh, Zach Kiefer. He covers the Colts and the NFL for The Athletic. And uh, get all six episodes of Luck on the Athletic Football Show feed or wherever you listen to podcast. Oh, great mystery. But there are there have been mysteries. And that's you're not sure how somebody's wired. And, you know, we try to read into this. You try to read into, okay, what makes Kyrie tick? I have no idea. And I think the, the less time you spend on that, the more sane you're going to be. Because when you're trying to figure out somebody who may not even know themselves who they are, like what motivates KD right now? What motivates Kyrie? You don't know. Uh, and I think that's the fascination. Calvin Johnson. Hall of Famer. I'm done. Had problems with the organization, and you know, they, I think, still want their signing bonus back. And Then you get Tom Brady. Tom Brady can't quit. He can't quit you. These guys could walk away. I mean, Tom, Tom Brady's, what, 13 years older than Andrew Luck? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But how you're wired, what's important. And Andrew Luck always struck me as he plays football and he's really good at it, but maybe there's something more to him. And I think he's got a degree in architecture and he went to Stanford and he's a bright guy and you walk away and you become a full-time dad. I mean, good for him, but to stay there is what I find fascinating out of all of this, that he walked away at 29, but stayed in Indianapolis. That would be where I would go. I can't stay here. I just, they're going to view me as a quitter. I quit on their team 15 days before the start of the season. But he stayed. And he lives right by the training facility. Fascinating. Yeah, Paul. And I can see sports fans in Indianapolis being hesitant to walk up to him. Because what would you say? Hey, I was a big fan. Okay, more than that. And then, of course, the questions about him playing. And you can't ask. And you don't want to ask. And... What else are you going to talk to him about? It's got to be very intimidating to like see him and want to get an autograph or a picture. Yeah. And he doesn't seem like an intimidating guy, but I think it, it would feel awkward maybe is the right word. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not quite sure if you say, hey, really loved uh, what you did. Uh, any chance you'd come back to play? Yes, he, 
Maybe he's like super involved in the PTO of his like school's oh. kids and you know what I mean? The kid's school rather. Oh, PTA? Yeah. Well, P- we have PTO, PTA. Oh, you do? Parent, Parent teacher? teacher organization. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, Paul. trying to get the drop-off line figured out. <laughs> yeah. you know, like all of those like mundane uh, yes. day-to-day tasks of like, <laughs> we got to get, uh, you know, Officer James out here controlling traffic. We got to speed this up a little bit here. You can't have the buses going in this way, the parents coming out the other <laughs> side. Come on, guys. You ever go to one of those elementary school, like, dad's clubs meetings? They, they have this in my town. No. Like the, the local school district has like a dad's club. And they get together, they plan like a pancake breakfast or blah, 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 some basketball tournaments. So I, 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 my wife goes, you should go to one of these things. So I'm like, all right, it's not really my thing. I see the agenda. It looked like a, like a, a NATO meeting. It had like 20 different things on it. Then I go to the house. It was 13 dudes in a basement drinking Coors Light and watching sports. I night. like that. And they ne- no one ever got to the agenda items. It was actually pretty cool. It was like a big front for drinking beer and hanging out. Uh, excuse me, guys. I've got some line items here I'd <laughs> yes. like to address quickly. The uh, cookie dough bread. fundraiser. <laughs> Who wants to organize that? Healthy snacks. Healthy snacks. Take a break. We'll come back. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The Dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avido, the temper of Sonny, 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Down 6-0 in St. Louis, Dodgers came back to win 7-6 last night. The Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, back on the uh, program. Good to have you, Coach. How are you? DP, what's happening, man? You doing good? I'm doing okay. I just saw where the 2018 Red Stitch Cabernet got 93 points from Wine Spectator. That's uh, Dave's wine. So uh, congratulations once again on a new batch. Yeah, so no, it, it was a good uh, it was a good batch. 18 was a great year. And you had a quick story as we got Trace Thompson with us now. So, uh uh, Clay, his brother, has his own label, and so I told him we got to go side by side Ooh. and uh, compare. Uh, it's a diamond and key. It was Nolan Arenado, ironically, and Clay together, uh, and uh, myself with Red Fitz. So we got to do a little side by side, and we might have to send you a bottle of the diamond and key and uh, see which one uh, wins out. You're down six zero last night. What's what's your role when you're down 6-0? I think at that point in time, it was trying to get Gallegos into the game. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where we're down 6-0. I, I thought we, we waited uh, Wayne right out, got him out of the game. Uh, he put up zeros. Um, we got to the pen who we knew was taxed. And if we could just chip away – and get Gallegos in the game, at least there's a chance to salvage a series. And then at that point in time, if we could just chip away, get into the pen who was taxed, we might be able to steal one from him. So that's kind of what we were thinking. Are you a rah-rah guy when you're down 6-0? You know what? I'm more of a uh, let's keep not giving that bats away guy. Um, I celebrate the victories, but in that moment, I'm more trying to keep guys focused on not just, uh, you know, looking looking at the next day and trying to try to make something good out of today. So that's more my my mindset. When's the last time you purposely got thrown out of a game? 
Um, purposely, it was it was this year, and a lot of time it was this year. I don't recall exactly what happened. It was more of I didn't agree with the zone. Players were, you know, bitching about it, and so I wanted to. I would rather get tossed than the player, but I don't need to get tossed to spark our guys. It was more of I would rather be the martyr, essentially. We're headed towards this uh, strike zone, automated strike zone, right? Yep, I, I think so. What's the downside for you? The downside is most of the hitters complain about it. Um, I, I do like the human element of it behind the plate. Um, the downside is a guy like Wainwright with his curveball or a Clayton Kershaw with his curveball hitters are going to be very uh, dissatisfied when they see that automated strike zone um, with guys that can throw a curveball like that. Meaning? It's just going to be the optics of it, the way the catcher catches the ball at the dirt when they go north to south, 12 to 6, breaking ball, that it clips part of the plate. Mm. Um, and it's going to surprise a lot of players, hitters. But what you're saying is you still like the human element. If if they got a call wrong uh, and it was the human element or you got it right with the automated strike zone. Yeah, 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 I, I, I do. I, I, that's kind of my stance on things, and that's, that's part of it, um, learning umpire strike zones and the pitchers kind of following it, the hitters adjusting to it. And they're not perfect, but they, they get a lot more than they get wrong. But why do we allow a strike zone to vary? Um, I think it's just a human – essentially, it's a human error. Um, I, what I will say, though, Dan, is there is a buffer zone right now in AAA uh, with the automated strike zone, which I do not think should be there. Because if it's automated, they don't need the inch border that essentially – umpires in the big leagues get uh, for their grading system, for the margin. Um, yeah. Plus, when you go out to argue with an automated strike zone, it's a little bit different. Like, will you be able to argue the same way when that umpire didn't call it? He's being told what to call. So you can't yeah. argue with I anybody. I want to see the first manager who tries to argue <laughs> the automated strike call. It, it won't be me, I promise you that. <laughs> Uh, explain to me, I, the Angels struck out 17 times last night. The Astros struck out 15 times. And it doesn't matter what teams I'm talking about here. They combined for 32 strikeouts. That's an American League record for nine innings. Help me understand this. That, you know, can, should you put it in play? Are you, do, you, do you teach putting it in play? Or am I, I know I'm old and old school. but I, I think the crux, you're old, but you like money. And you understand the value of the dollar. Yeah. And the industry does not value um, soft contact or base hits. That's just fact. Average isn't valued. Runs batted in isn't valued. Uh, runs are not valued as far as compensating players. So on one hand, as a manager of a ball club, I value those things. We value them in our clubhouse. But it's hard to tell a player when the agent says you might as well try to go for a pump and hit a homer um, because that's what the industry values. I mean, it, it's something that it, it's so twisted and, you know, we talk about it all the time within the game, but when a player talks to his agent, what's going to get you paid? Yeah. 
I remember asking Alex Rodriguez why he didn't steal more bases. He said, once they start paying me to steal more bases, then I'll do it. And it feels like that's a lost art as well, that, you know, you're not stealing bases. That they don't they don't compensate for stolen bases. They pay for play to be able to post and to take at bats and potential performance. And so again, this is something you and I agree with, and many in the industry do. But when you look at how players are trying to take care of themselves and families, I have some empathy towards that, and I don't agree with it, but I get it. He's Dave Roberts, Dodger manager. Yeah, I just get bummed out because I can watch highlights and it seems like it's a great game. But if you sit at a game when everybody's going for the downs, there's no movement whatsoever. And that's that's been my biggest knock is at least have movement. You know, take the extra base, move a runner over. But, you know, uh, I'm I'm shouting and nobody nobody's going to be listening about uh, listening to this anytime soon. Yeah, and the thing is, though, is that that's the thing, is that to ultimately, um, I think our club um, in the last few weeks has done a much better job of playing team baseball, um, situationally moving guys over, taking taking the extra base, stealing bases, taking walks. And uh, to win 11 games in October, um, you've got to be able to do that because the pitching gets considerably better, the scouting gets better. Uh, you got to be able to move the ball forward, um, take walks um, when pitchers expand. So um, that's something that we're very mindful of because um, our goal is to win a World Series. When you're looking at pitching now in high school or college, um, are you, tell me how you scout now with a pitcher as opposed to what it was like when you were actually playing and what we expected from a starting pitcher. Has anything, has it changed that dramatically? I think, I don't think that's changed as much. Um, You're still looking at body projectability. You're looking at arm strength. Um, You're looking at mechanics to potentially look at long-term health. Um, I, I think the guys back when I came up, there were guys drafted uh, with pitch ability uh, and command where that for me, I just don't think is prioritized as much as just pure arm strength. Yeah. Cause I wonder if Clayton Kershaw was coming out now or Justin Verlander, would they be viewed or Adam Wainwright? Yeah. But they, they, would they be viewed differently that I don't need a workhorse or we're not as reliant on these workhorses going seven, eight, nine innings anymore. I think so. Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, those guys, you know, Adam Wainwright started the sixth inning with 105 pitches and, um, you know, he's a workhorse. And, and as you said, Verlander, Kershaw, and th- when they came into the game, there were obviously a lot more complete games. Um, you know, people that were mentors for them, you know, taught them a certain way. And the industry, I think, is kind of downshifted as far as, expecting length of the starter mm-hmm. um, and the bullpen management, um, you know, multi-inning guy has been more of a commodity. Um, but I do think that baseball is certainly trying to uh, get back to the starter going deeper in a game because, yeah, when you're looking at probables and you see Kershaw Verlander, uh, that's exciting. And that's something that want, that gets baseball fans tuned in. All right, we're 10 minutes in. Uh, How would you sum up the Freddie Freeman weekend in Atlanta? Um, 
overwhelming, exhausting, very fun. What role did you play? I played the uh, the intermediate um, uh, friend, coach, uh, media liaison, um, uh, <laughs> kind of a motivator to the team to keep us focused on trying to beat the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> How surprised were you ab- about the emotion that hit him and uh, sort of the fallout? I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, that's something that we had talked about uh, months leading up to it. So that was just a culmination. And uh, I, I thought the fans there in Atlanta handled it fantastic. Uh, the organization did a fantastic job. And for Freddie to finally get closure, um, he was having a heck of a year for us already, Dan. Yeah. Um, but to have that closure, uh, what he's done in the last month has been just, you know, from that point on has been remarkable. Was anybody bothered by it? Did you have to have discussions no. in the locker room? No there, one. There wasn't. And I think, honestly, it's like there was a little something made of Clayton's yeah. uh, tongue-in-cheek comment. But it's like that's something that if Clayton's going to say something, it's going to get blown out of proportion. And it wasn't at all. I mean, if there's any person that can realize, understand being with an organization for your entire career through the minor leagues and have to go back, um, it's Clayton. So, um, no, not at all. Did you ever cry going back to a ballpark? <laughs> I have not. Um, I, I did get. I do get received well going back to Boston and and uh, to Fenway, but I, I didn't shed a tear. But you know, I actually I, I, I can appreciate a person who can show his emotion and still go out there and throw out a couple knocks in a game. Okay, but if you go back to Atlanta during the postseason. You have to have a conversation with Freddie to say, all right, there's no more tears. All right, one and done. You got your tears. Now you, you're a Dodger. Okay, let's go get him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I, I think the tears of all, he, he's all cried out. And I think <laughs> that when he gets back, there won't be cheers for him anyway. There's going to be, uh, if it's the NLCS or something like that, he's going to be received uh, with some booze, I'm sure. Uh, respectful booze. Well, also... He's playing well. That was the thing. If if that happened and he wasn't playing well, then I think the fallout might have been different. Like, dude, you know, you got to you're in a different zip code, a different uniform. Like, you got to start raking here. But he has been hitting as advertised. He he's done everything as advertised on the field, off the field. He he's absolutely done it. How many people hitting you up for uh, All Star Game tickets? Uh, yeah, uh, quite a few, but, uh, you know, my, my complimentary tickets are all tapped out. So, uh, you're paying uh market value, uh, going forward. So yeah, I'm tapped out on the complimentary, uh, home run derby and tickets. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's a good number. It's a big number. But have you had a man, would you have a manager who might ask you to limit the amount of pitches that you know one you know or limit the time that somebody's in there a starter is that something that happens oh it happens oh okay. yeah that's okay. a that's a that's a thing um you know i had the fortune of managing two all-star games and um yeah they uh they call to try to either not pitch your pit their pitcher or at least go one inning so it's funny is that you get calls from major league baseball saying Oh, so and so can go two. So and so can go two, and then you get the call a couple of days prior after you made the uh, the list of how you're going to use these guys. It says, 
yeah, my guy can only go one, or can you keep him out of the game? And so there's a lot of that going on. Great to talk to you again. Good catching up. Uh, Safe travels. Thanks for joining us. All right, GP. Take care. We'll talk soon. That's Dave Roberts. He comes on. He never asked me to talk about his uh, red stitch Cabernet. So he uh, got 93 points from Wine Spectator. And uh, he's, had a, he's had a couple of really good years there. Psst, there's a shortcut to platinum status at Shell. To saving 10 cents per gallon on every fill every day. Just fill up six times with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline and it's yours. Plus, you'll rejuvenate your engine. Get ready to level up performance, rewards, and savings. With continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors, Platinum Status is earned with 12 Phillips over three months, 10-gallon minimum per fill-up at participating Shell locations. Terms apply. Visit FuelRewards.com slash status. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.